Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat Tunuva in Thornton, Colorado. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open in prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King, Lord, we're excited for what you're doing in our midst. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you that you have caused us to become righteous in your eyes, that you have raised us up in Messiah Yeshua, that you have forgiven us of our sins, and that you have filled us with your precious spirit. Lord, we know that this is what causes us to love you and to fall on our face and to worship you. We thank you that by your promises, by your spirit, that you are preparing us as a people, that you're helping equip us as a community of like, like-minded ones, as called-out ones, called out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Lord, we know that we are chosen for a reason. We are ambassadors to bear your precious word, to be representatives of your kingdom. Lord, to take your precious good news to those of us, I'm sorry, to, to those around us who haven't yet heard, to friends, to family members, and even to those on the street, Lord, if you'll send us. Thank you, Lord, for this awesome responsibility of um, being ambassadors and evangelists of the good news. Thank you that you have given us the message of Torah. Thank you that you are raising up the Torah community of Jews and Gentiles, the remnant of Israel, those who are uh, those who hold to the faith of Yeshua and keep the commandments of God. Thank you, Lord, that you are showing us the way. Help us to continue to keep our eyes on the goal. Help us not to lose sight of the fact that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and that you, the king, are returning. Your return is soon. Help us not uh, um, shrink back. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to be bold. Help us to continue to fight, Lord, to fight the good fight, to put on the armor of Ephesians chapter 6. And having done all to stand, that we will stand in the name of our Messiah, Yeshua, standing on the rock from which we know our um, foundation is sure, and which we know that our house will not crumble. Bless us, Lord, as we embark on this study of the book of Galatians. I pray that you'll be with each and every student. Give them an enlarged capacity to comprehend, to understand, to retain, and to um, meditate on these precious words of life. And be with me, the instructor, the teacher. Lord, I, I, uh, I need all the help I can get. Uh, we'll be careful, Lord, to bless you for all of these things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. 
Okay, well, uh, this is uh, week 36 of our Exegeting Galatians commentary, and we're just plugging along. Um, we go week by week, every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. You're certainly welcome to join us. If you have an internet connection on your computer, or if you have a smartphone device, like a, a, a smartphone or a tablet, and uh, you can... Um, you can log on and join us that way. We join you by way of Skype every week, and you don't even really have to have a Skype account to join, at least on your computer you don't. You can join Skype as a guest. What you need to do is head on over to my website at tetzetorah.com, T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-R-A-H.com, and click on the uh, link at the top of the page that says Galatians Commentary, and from there... Um, you can scroll down and you'll find the written material, about 184 pages that we're working with right now. And you can also find um, the commentary actually in, in web format there. But um, more importantly, for the live um, study, there is a um, there's a black button kind of in the top, near the top of the page that says, uh, Join us Tuesday evenings. And you can click there and it'll give you the details about um, joining us each Tuesday night. And... Um, Again, all you need is an internet connection or a smartphone device that will allow you to uh, log into Skype. So, without further ado, let's open with some liturgy. I'd like to read our uh, familiar passage out of Ezekiel chapter 36 again. Um, these verses, once again, are just so relevant for us in the Torah communities because they tell us that not only is God going to reverse the exile, speaking to corporate national Israel, of which we, are, we belong, now, a remnant Israel, obviously, is a part of national Israel. And um, these words speak of a promise of God reversing the exile, bringing our people back to the land. But also, he's going to cleanse us. He's going to remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. He's going to fill us with just precious spirit. And that will cause us to walk into his ways. And that's why I'm reading these verses, because of the relevance for us as Torah communities. We need to realize that as new covenant members, those who have embraced Yeshua as our Messiah, that these new covenant promises belong to us, and that they cannot be uh, undone by any um, any twist of, feel, of theology that we might come up with. Um, and then later on, we're going to read a passage out of the book of Galatians. That will form our liturgy out of the New Testament, so to say. And we'll be able to see how these two passages work together. It's that Paul in Galatians is instructing those uh, um, his readers there that uh, not to become entrapped with the dangers of of believing that covenant membership is driven by ethnicity, that covenant membership is driven by um, Torah obedience, and not to think that the Torah is for Jews only, but in fact that the Torah is for all those who would name the name of Messiah Yeshua, all those who join themselves to the Lord through his Messiah. And that's why these verses are so relevant for us. So let me read the English. This is the ESV, Ezekiel 36, 22 through 28. It reads, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when, you, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, 
and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all, uh, from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Wonderful promises. Let's go back and read the Hebrew as well. Amen. All right, let's turn to that passage out of Galatians 5. This is the first six verses. Spoken, or I'm sorry, chosen for its relevance because of its relation to our uh, challenge of studying the book of Galatians as one that embraces the Torah of Moshe through the spirit of Messiah Yeshua. That's right. Paul didn't write the book of Galatians to warn Gentile believers away from keeping Torah. And he certainly didn't write the book of Galatians to confirm that the Torah is for Jews only. Instead, he wrote the book of Galatians to explain that the genuine freedom that Gentiles were seeking, the genuine covenant members that they were uh, seeking to attain to, was only secured through faith in Yeshua, and that the that the uh, covenant membership that Israel, the first century Israel, was as um, um, that Israel was was essentially advertising, was not something that was for Jews only. The Torah was not for Jews only. God was not the God of the Jews only. Covenant membership was not exclusively a Jew, an ethnic Jewish uh, promise. Rather, through Messiah, the Gentiles were being brought into the commonwealth of Israel. And therefore, the Torah of Israel, the scriptures of Israel, the promises of Israel, were equally applicable to the Gentile believer as he came in covenant with God through Jesus Christ. That's essentially what the book of Galatians is about. And the, 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 the bondage that Paul warns us about is the bondage of the first century exclusive position uh, that the Torah was for Jews only, the covenant membership was for Jews only. That's the bondage that Paul is warning the Gentiles away from. Don't think that covenant membership is driven by your ethnicity. Don't think that you have to convert to become Jews first, legally recognized Jews in the eyes of the national Jews. Don't think that that's how you're going to get into genuine relationship with God. Instead, 
Cast your faith on Yeshua the Messiah. He is all the identity you will ever need. Once you place your faith in Him, He will fill you with the Spirit. He will take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, fill you with the Spirit like the Ezekiel passage talks about, and He will cause you to walk into His ways. Meaning, for Gentiles as well as Jews, if you place your faith in Jesus, then the Torah becomes your covenant responsibility it becomes your document it becomes your blueprint blueprint for a living so let's read this galatians 5 1 through 6 for freedom christ has set us free stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery look i paul say to you that if you accept circumcision christ will be of no advantage to you I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So if you notice um, very carefully... What Paul is trying to explain here again is for those Gentiles who were seeking covenant membership via the proselyte conversion package that was being offered in the first century, uh, the, the the package that would allow a Gentile to change his ethnicity, uh, go through the waters of the mikvah, offer us a, a sacrifice, um, uh, receive circumcision if he was a male, and then he would be declared as a as a Jew, a legally recognized Jew, and in doing so, then the um, uh, the uh, what we call the the um, exclusive Jewish element to uh, salvation or, or uh, um, covenant membership was um, upheld, and that's that's really slavery. It's slavery because it's not in line with the truth of the gospel. It's not in line with the truth that the Messiah doesn't require uh, Gentiles to become Jews in order to be counted as co- genuine covenant members in His eyes. God counts a member as righteous. God reckons a man as righteous. Um, that that Greek word that we're going to encounter here in a moment, the kaiosune, God uh, reckons a man as righteous not on the basis of his ethnicity and certainly not on the basis of some supposed um, law-keeping. Rather, God reckons a a man, uh, the kaiosune, righteous or justified on the basis of genuine faith in Jesus. Let's read the Greek and then we'll jump into our study. Those same verses read, Te eleutheria hemos Christos, a lutherosens stekate un kai me palen zugo duleas in a keste. Ide ego palas lego human hati in peritemnesta. Christos humas uden u o ofelese. Marturomai de palen panti anthropo peritemnameno. Hati o felates. Esten holantan namen poie sai. Catergetata apocristu oitinis en namo. Dake uste. Amen. Okay, let's jump into the study. Again, we're in week 36, and um, we're just plugging our way along. We're we're actually meeting uh, for 10 weeks, and then we take a break for two weeks, and then we meet for 10 weeks again, so each semester is actually 10 weeks long. So once we reach uh, week 40, we'll take a break, and then we'll start again 
uh, with week 41, but it'll be uh, after the two-week break. So that'll give you time as a student to perhaps go back and catch up on lessons that you um, didn't quite follow along or maybe you missed because um, schedule didn't permit or such. And it also gives me time as a teacher to kind of go back and go over notes and to just help prepare for the lessons. So let's follow along. If you're online, for those of you who are in the class with me, um, what you're going to we should be seeing on your screen now that I've got the the uh, study pulled up and we're on page 67. We're near the top of page 67, and this is where we left off last week. We read this uh, quote from Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 16 out of the NIV, and then we read this statement. Speaking of the, this is kind of my comment to the passage out of Deuteronomy 10. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. What we're talking about tonight is Shomer Mitzvot. We're in topic number eight of the Galatian study. Torah observant is what the word, what the phrase Shomer Mitzvot naturally refers to in Jewish circles. And we're talking about this concept because as we work our way down through the topical section of my commentary, working our way towards the um, Galatians commentary proper, where we're going to actually look at a, a few select verses from each chapter, what we're doing is we're, we're getting kind of the background and the uh, the social, social socio-religious um, uh, background to the book and to um, the culture of the day and the religious... Um, um, occurrences that drove Paul to write the the book the way he did, to write to write the letter the way he did. For to be sure, uh, Jews and Gentiles are being thrown together in this mix of who's who in Israel, who has a right to be called an Israelite was kind of the question on the mind of of people of Paul's day. Who has the right to bear the responsibility of keeping the Torah? Who has the 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 um the, who has access to God? Who's a Jew? Who's righteous? Who's justified? Who's a covenant member? Things like that. Those are some of the questions that we talk about um, as we read, that we're going to encounter as we read through the book of Galatians. So let's start, let's just jump right into my comment here. I think we're going to be able to finish tonight so that um, we'll be ready to take on the, uh, um, turn to the um, uh, summary next week. So let me read the commentary, and then um, I'll just comment afterwards. I think I can just read through this, because it's fairly self-explanatory. In conclusion to this particular section on Shomer Mitzvot, Torah observance, consider this explanation, this uh, this midrash, as we might say in Hebrew. Uh, consider this explanation on our relationship to two of the more well-known biblical covenants. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to I'm going to de- uh, describe... Um, a, a picture, an example, almost like a parable, as it were, with the central idea of of describing two of the well, more well-known covenants in the Bible. And what I'm what I'm going to talk about is the Abrahamic covenant, and then I'm going to talk about the Mosaic covenant. All right, and I'm going to talk about these two in using the example of a car and uh, registration papers and ownership manual. Okay, so listen up. I think this will be uh, uh, kind of interesting. The following explanation is meant to serve as a primer to the individual's search to become Torah observant. It's not meant to be an exhaustive definition on the subject. Rather, it's simply an introduction to a series of teachings on this particular area. To be sure, this Torah teacher is not the subject matter expert. But the following midrash, that is teaching example, should enlighten the average believer. Now, 
Um, I, I add this little um, disclaimer in my uh, commentary. I'm pretty sure my friends at First Fruits Design have made me familiar with the following example. I have, however, modified it somewhat. I, I'm pretty sure I, I heard it when I was working there uh, 16 years ago, but I, I, I may have read it in one of their magazines or heard it from R.L. or Barrel Berkowitz or from uh, Boaz Michael or, or one, of the, one, of, one of the members over at FFOZ, but just listen up for a moment, okay? Most new automobiles come with two important pieces of literature, an owner's manual and a set of registration papers. The first of these, the owner's manual, it's free with the purchase of the car. The latter needs to be obtained legally by the purchaser, right? So um, just right away, we're describing these two sets of documents and um, our relationship to these particular documents. Now, let's describe a scenario. In the event of, say, a traffic altercation, maybe like an accident or a speeding or something like that, the driver of the vehicle is required to produce the proof of registration, among other things, uh, such as your uh, license and your proof of insurance and things like that, right? But um, at the very least, the proof of registration, um, he's going to have to provide these things to the policeman making the report. And failure to do so will have serious repercussions on the part of the driver, uh, since this information vitally links the driver to the ownership of the car. Right? Makes sense so far? Okay, keep following along. So, obviously the registration paper is very important in my little scenario. Now, on a similar vein, let's just keep that part of my example in mind. Let's keep going. On a similar vein, let's suppose you're out on a long trip. You're out and abroad on a hot summer day without the use of your air conditioner. Um, and if that's the case, it's going to prove to be uncomfortable to say the least, especially if the region's a humid one. Let's suppose you also get a flat tire during this trip. Wouldn't that spell double disaster? Let's suppose, since this is a new car, that you, the driver, are unfamiliar with the climate controls. So you don't know how to operate the air conditioner, you don't know how to turn it on, and the heat is unbearable. Also, you may be ignorant when it comes to changing a flat tire. You'd be surprised how many people don't know really how to change a flat tire. Um, maybe it's a fancy new car and you don't know even how to operate the uh, the jack, or you don't even know where it's located. All right, so... What do you do? What do you do? Right? Where do you turn to for assistance? Well, bada bing, bada boom. Fortunately, the owner's manual covers such such topics as climate controls, changing a flat tire, oil pressure, engine maintenance, and these days some um, owner's manuals even cover radio features. Right? So that's where you're going to turn. The owner's manual, in my little example here, proves to be a valuable tool in providing both comfort and peace of mind in this situation, right? Okay, so let's re keep reading, and now let's make an application, right? We're on the top of page 68. The matter of Torah observance is made clearer to the believer when one understands the relationship that he or she as a believer has to the covenants. So listen up. The Torah spells out at least two very important covenants in the life of a follower of Hashem. At least two. I know there's more, but just for my example, for this Midrash, we're focusing on these two. We have the Avrahamic, or the Abrahamic covenant, and we have the Mosaic, or the one with Moses, the Mosaic covenant, right? Those two. And that's really the order that we read them in, in the Bible. The Abrahamic covenant comes first. It's usually in the book of, it's yeah, usually, you're definitely going to find it in the uh, book of Genesis, around chapter 12 and following, uh, maybe chapter 15, if you really want to get technical. And then, um, uh, the, the covenant with Moses is, doesn't come later till Book of Exodus. Say, let's just mar let's just bookmark it around Exodus chapter twenty, 
with the giving of Torah at Sinai. So those are the two covenants that are in view here. Now listen to this. The Avrahamic covenant serves to represent the registration papers in my Midrash that I just talked about. How so? Listen up. Prior coming to faith, when we were an unbeliever, the Torah served as a reminder of sin. It did, it did other things, right? But read Romans 7, 7-12, and you'll see how Paul describes it. How that how he wouldn't have not would not have known sin unless the Torah described it for him. Now I know that this is not the only function of the Torah, but we have to agree that it it is a primary one, right? It is one of the primary functions for unbelievers. It highlights, it showcases, it demonstrates sin. It's one of the three uses of the law that's described in Christian circles. But then after coming into a relationship with Hashem through His Son Yeshua. What happens is the person undergoes a change in relationship to the Torah. There is a legal change in his relationship to the Torah. And what happens is the Abrahamic covenant then becomes for him a promise of inheritance. That is the picture that's painted by the language of the Abrahamic covenant in the Bible. Promise of inheritance. That's the language that God actually used with Abraham when he said, get up and get out and go to a land that I have promised that I will give you. I'll make your name great. I'll, I'll bless you with offspring. Uh, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And, any, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's a unilateral, it's a, um, um, it's a uh, unilateral, I'm sorry, it's a, uh, uh, yeah, it's a unilateral um, one person speaking, God writing the document, God cutting the covenant with Abraham unilaterally. Abraham, for his part, was simply the recipient. But it's it, it's it, basically the language of the of that covenant is promise, promise of inheritance. And and what is the inheritance that we're return, referring to? Well, in Abraham's case, the paradigm is set for the promise of 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 the land, the promise of of blessing, of multiplicity, of his offering being increased. So a land with blessing that would uh, uh, go along with that, uh, commiserate with that. But it's really a paradigm of the inheritance of eternal life through genuine faith or through trusting faithfulness. That's essentially what the Abrahamic covenant portrays. It became, um, for the believer, for us, it becomes our proof of ownership, just like the just like the owner's manual. It, it, it's, it's, so to say, it's, it's our proof of ownership. It's proof that we own God and that God owns us. Would you agree? Does that make sense so far? It's the paradigm for salvation. It's the paradigm for salvation. Now, we're still talking about the Torah, the Torah, which has these two documents in it. The Torah itself contains these two covenants, these two, not two documents, but these two covenants uh, that, were, that, were, that are in view here. So, the Torah still reminds us, as believers, it still reminds us of our sin. However, because we now constitute what the Bible calls us the righteousness of God, uh, read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, as well as 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 for that language that Paul uses. We are the righteousness of God in Messiah. In Messiah, we are the righteousness of God, meaning he has declared and conferred his righteousness to us. He has declared us righteous by the uh, power of his Son, by our faith in his Son, by his filling us with his Spirit, by his cleansing us from sin. We now are righteous. We're no, our, our identity has changed. We're no longer unrighteous. We're no longer sinners. We are now saints. We are now redeemed, right? We are righteous. And that's why when we say proof of ownership, God owns us and we own God. He's our God and we are his people. So, 
there's this ownership language that's being um, demonstrated by the Abrahamic covenant. So the Torah still reminds us of sin, but because we are the righteousness of God, we are now free, we're set free to pursue following Hashem without the threat of death for disobedience. See how that works? God will not destroy us as his people. He may punish us. He may correct us. He may chastise us as a loving father should. And in fact, if he doesn't correct us and, and reprove us and, 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 and give us a potch, a spanking every now and then, then perhaps you may want to question whether or not you really are a child and whether or not you're not a bastard. Makes sense? A mamzer in Hebrew. So um, even though... Even though, um, um, even though we disobey every now and then, we don't have to. We don't have this 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 threat of death for disobedience hanging over our head. To be sure, I go on to say in my commentary: the Torah spelled certain death for some disobedient acts committed by the supposed covenant follower. Uh, for instance, read Exodus thirty-one um, uh, verses uh, twelve through eighteen, where we read about Sabbath violator receiving the death penalty for his repeated violation of the Sabbath. The, the the Sabbath is a capital offense. To to violate the Sabbath is committed a capital offense, at least to violate it on a repeated, remorseless um, level. And uh, if one is caught and tried, so to say, then death is was the penalty that the, the Torah prescribed. Again, go back and read Exodus 31. So what we see is that the wages of some sins are definitely death. In fact, the wages of all sin is, is ultimate death, but... but God doesn't destroy us just because we break one law. God extends mercy and grace, and he always has. He always has, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. You need to keep that in mind because God himself doesn't change. Rather, he extends mercy and grace. And if we can see this from both sides of the Bible, that the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament, both describe that the wages, the payment of sin is death. Right? They both describe that. And basically it's that the man who sins and dies in his sins without an atonement will ultimately die in his sins and he will be separated from God. And that is the ultimate death that we want to, um, we want to avoid if all possible. But now Yeshua's atoning death has become or has redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse of the law is reserved for those who do not accept Yeshua as their atonement. The curse of the law comes down upon an unrepentant sinner. The curse of the law is reserved for those whose hearts are turned away from God, those whose hearts are cold, those with, as Ezekiel would describe it, those with sins uncleansed, those with hearts of flesh, those without the Spirit of God written on their heart, those who do not walk in the ways of God. Those are the ones for whom death and the curse of the law are reserved. Death and condemnation, however, are no longer the, the wage of a believer. Read uh, Romans 6, 23, as well as 8, 1, where we read that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, let's keep reading. So, now we've talked about the Abrahamic covenant, right? It is the proof of ownership. It is the registration papers in our example with the car. Let's talk about the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant comes along later, and, and sequentially, that's how we find it in the Bible. You know, right? It shows up in Exodus when you're reading the Bible sequentially. The Mosaic Covenant was added. Why? It was added for, among other things, but for the enjoyment of the promise. What promise? What promise were the people of Israel given? The offspring of Israel were already given the promise of the land. And so the, the Mosaic Covenant came along after the promise had already been given to Abraham and his people. So the 
uh, Mosaic Covenant was added, among other things, for the enjoyment of the promise, already available through our participation in the Abrahamic Covenant. And since we identify with Israel, since we've been grafted into remnant Israel, as Jews and Gentiles in Messiah, since Ephesians tells us that we are brought near to the people of God and to the commonwealth of Israel, then we also, to the extent that we participate in the Abrahamic Covenant through faith in Yeshua, we also participate in the Mosaic Covenant in uh, through Moses, um, through the Spirit writing the Torah on our hearts. The Mosaic Covenant becomes for us our owner's manual. See how that works? So, in my little midrash now, the Abrahamic Covenant is the registration papers. It describes proof of ownership. And the, and the Mosaic Covenant is the owner's manual, which provides blessing, maintenance, and enjoyment of promise to our lives. If we understand their relation, our relationship to Torah in these ways, then we won't get the cart before the horse, and we won't fall into the dangers of legalism or the trappings of works, righteousness, or any of the like. Let me read this quote from um, Ariel Devore's book, Torah Rediscovered, which at the time that I owned it and quoted here in my commentary, it was uh, the FFOZ version from 1996. This is from page 32. Quote, this is Ariel Devora. For those who trust Hashem for the promises, the proper order for faith and obedience is set by the sequence in which the covenants were given. In other words, faith must precede obedience. But the kind of faith accepted by Hashem is one which naturally flows into obedience. True obedience never comes before faith, nor is it an addition to faith. Rather, it is always the result of true biblical faith. End quote. Look at footnote number 49. You'll see that um, lifted from um, the uh, Torah Rediscovered book there. So, it's, it's very plain. At least it's plain to me. And I hope it's becoming plain to you. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. And that's why we read about in Deuteronomy that we quote out of the Shema that um, most of us uh, should be quoting at least twice a day since you're reading. Um, I hope you're praying the set time prayers. But what does it say in Deuteronomy chapter 6? Starting around 4 and 5 and 6. Heroes are the Lord of God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord of God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Or with all your might, is how it really reads. Um, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. See how Torah observance is a heart issue. And that's why God takes out the heart of stone that we read about in Ezekiel, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. Why? Because the fleshly heart can receive the words of God. And so when Moshe, when Moshe said, these words shall be on your heart, Moshe was speaking by the Spirit. Moshe knew, because his eyes were opened by the Spirit, Moshe knew that the only way that the words can genuinely be upon your heart is if you allow the, the Spirit of God to write them there on a heart of flesh. And that's why Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and it always will be. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It shouldn't be something that's just routine. shouldn't be something that's merely mechanical, something that's outwardly only. It's part of the heart. It's, it's, it's part of who we genuinely are in Messiah. The Torah proper, meaning the first five books of Moshe, it instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your resources, is what that Hebrew word me'odacha really says. That's Deuteronomy 6.5. And in my opinion, this is where Shomer Mitzvot begins. It begins, it genuinely begins, by loving Hashem, accepting Him on His terms, 
And so what does that mean? By this I mean accepting his means, God's means of covenant obedience, not man's means of covenant obedience. National Israel failed to understand historically that genuine covenant membership and genuine covenant obedience was accomplished by God softening the heart, writing the words of God on the heart of the covenant member, causing the covenant member to walk into the ways of God. That's what we read about in, in the Ezekiel promise we just read in our liturgy. That's what it means to love God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your resources. It means to accept God's means of covenant membership, which doesn't mean putting your ethnicity first. It doesn't mean putting some supposed works righteousness before God and hoping that that will be accepted as covenant membership. No. Instead, when we accept God's means of covenant um, covenant membership and covenant obedience, it means that we fall in love with his Messiah, declare Jesus as Lord, and then embrace the Torah of Moshe as the lifestyle of a Jew or a Gentile who's been redeemed by the power of the blood of Messiah. Amen? That's God's means of covenant obedience. That's God's means of God, that's God's way of declaring a person genuinely righteous. So for today, covenant obedience, when we're talking about Shomer Mitzvot, it's amply clear that this means acceptance of Yeshua, his only son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Covenant membership is not a Jewish-only phenomenon, like the first century Jews of Paul's day were teaching the people. Covenant membership is for Jews and Gentiles in Messiah. Covenant membership, which leads to covenant obedience, is for Jews and Gentiles. Which means, not only is covenant membership for Jews and Gentiles, but covenant obedience. The Torah is for Jews and Gentiles as well. Let's finish my commentary, and then I just want to speak a little bit more on this idea of, of, of walking into the ways of God. And then I'll, I'll draw the commentary to a close. We're near the bottom of page 68. Covenants, from God's perspective require a response on the part of the follower. When God extends the covenant to his people, when God put forth the Abrahamic covenant, when he presented the terms of the covenant to Abraham, God expected a response on Abraham's part. What was the expected response? What was the right thing for Abraham to do? Well, Hashem, for his part, has provided the promise of inheritance to Abraham, and equally, since Abraham is the father of both Jews and Gentiles, who place their faith in Jesus, this promise of inheritance is for those who participate in the Abrahamic covenant via faith in their son, in the, son of, on the, in the genuine son of Abraham, which is Yeshua. And by this, we know then that the proper response on the part of, of the people that are being presented with this covenant the proper response to Abrahamic covenant, to the Abrahamic covenant, is faith. It's faith. That's what we know from reading the uh, the account with Abraham and understanding how Paul pulls Abraham into his teachings in the book of Galatians as well as the book of Romans. Right? Makes sense. So, the response to the Abrahamic covenant is faith. Now, watch this. The nature of the Mosaic covenant is... In, in comparison, not contradistinction, but in comparison, the nature of the Mosaic Covenant is blessing, maintenance, and enjoyment of promise. 
See how that works? The nature of the Abrahamic covenant is promise of inheritance. That's the paradigm. By comparison, the nature, the paradigm of the Mosaic covenants is blessing, maintenance, and enjoyment of promise. And so there is not, there's likewise an expected response. When God extended this time, the Mosaic covenant to the people on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, God expected a response. Again, when God extends a covenant towards people, he expects a response. This time, for all who wish to participate in the Mosaic covenant, the response to this covenant is obedience. See how that works? Essentially, faith and obedience come together in the life of a believer. And that's how the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant can fit together, just like the registration papers and the owner's manual fit together. Both of them are necessary in the life of the owner of the car and in, in, in for the biblical covenants that we're describing. The Abrahamic covenant is, is necessary for us to be counted as uh, genuine offspring of Abraham, as inheritors of the promise, and the Mosaic is the Mosaic covenant is necessary for us to be counted as obedient to the covenants of God. Obedience is what God expects when He extends the Mosaic covenant to His people. That's why, when in Exodus chapter 19, when God uh, told uh, Moshe that. He was going to come down on the mountain and speak with the people. What did the people say? All that you have said, we will do. All that you have commanded, we will do. They understood, at least from their natural perspective, that God was expecting something of them as a people group. Expecting something of them as an existing, redeemed, that is redeemed from Egypt, people group. Remember the paradigm, as I'm draw this section to a close. The paradigm that we that we can gather as we study the Bible very carefully is that the people that received the Mosaic Covenant on Mount Sinai the day, they were not receiving the Mosaic Covenant to become God's people. They were receiving the Mosaic Covenant because they were already God's people. See how that works? The Mosaic Covenant didn't make them God's people. It was given to them to help them become obedient as God's people, to walk as God's people, to talk as God's people, to act as God's people. They were already God's people because God had declared them his people way back when he told Abraham that I will bless you and make your name great and cause you to be numerous. And then as the people... Um, as they grew into a family and in tribes and they became enslaved in Egypt, God went to Egypt and rescued them and redeemed them. That's the paradigm of the Exodus. God redeemed them to demonstrate that they were his people. He redeemed his people from Egypt. He set them free. He set them free from the bondage of sin, from the slavery that the pharaohs were imposing on them. And so he brought them, he brought these freed people to the foot of Sinai, and gave them Torah. So, with that in mind, it should be clear for us to understand now that by Paul's day, the Torah was not meant to be given to a covenant member to, to create their covenant membership. Torah doesn't create covenant membership. Torah enhances existing 
covenant membership. I like to say it this way, and then I'll close. We believers don't keep Torah to become saved. Instead, we believers, both Jew and Gentile, we keep Torah because we're saved. Understand? It's that easy. All right, before I close, let me just say a a quick word about Torah observance as a believer. It's important to understand, in my perspective, I want to speak to you from my heart, not from my notes. I think it's important for us to understand that genuine covenant obedience, that is to say, uh, following after God's words and His ways, um, obviously is, is extended for Jews and Gentiles in Messiah. So just don't even get confused with the whole idea of who's a Jew and who's not a Jew and who should be keeping Torah and who shouldn't in that regards. If you have placed your genuine faith in Messiah, if you're listening to this podcast today and you believe in Jesus, you name the name of Yeshua as Lord and you know that you are His child, God has filled you with the Spirit, God has washed you clean, God has set you on your feet, God has... Um, forgiven you and wiped the bill uh, that was against you. He's wiped the slate clean. You are a genuine son of Abraham. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile. Then the Torah is yours. The Torah belongs to you. You are remnant Israel and the Torah has been given to you so that you can walk in the ways of God, so that you can become a genuine um, obedient covenant member, so that you can fulfill the words of the law that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. However, there's an important a duty that we as believers have before we can really continue to um, demonstrate obedience. And what is that? It's that we need to continue to avail ourselves of the Spirit of God. We need to continue to press into the words of God. But more importantly, we need to continue to press into the the presence of God. For me, what that looks like is that as often as I can, I'm availing myself of 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 um, the presence of God in my life. Um, this means I have a set time when I meet with God. I, I usually like to meet with Him early in the morning uh, before my day really starts. And I also like to meet with Him before I retire. I, I take the words of Deuteronomy, the when you lie down and when you rise up, I take that somewhat literally. And so um, basically the two times a day are when I meet with God on a regular basis. And I have to set these times aside as an adult or else they'll, they'll be stolen away from me in my busy schedule. And I'll lose them. And you know, sometimes I'm not disciplined and I do lose them. Sometimes I don't meet on those times when I want to. But the point I'm trying to make is don't meet with God just because it's on your schedule. Meet with God because you hunger and thirst after Him. You know what I'm saying? Press into God and develop a hunger for His presence. Press in and develop a hunger and thirst for His righteousness. Uh, Yeshua said that blessed are they who, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for, for hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they will be filled. We read about that in Matthew chapter 5. So we know that by the promises that, that Yeshua spoke, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. If you seek him, he will be found. God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. His presence is here. Develop a personal one-on-one relationship with God. Don't just go to church once a week. Don't just flip your Bible open every now and then. Make it a part of your daily habit. Make it a part of your daily discipline. And genuinely seek the presence of God. For some of us, that means when we really get get on our knees, when we get alone with God, sometimes we cry out in 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 um Sometimes we cry out and sometimes we literally cry. For me, I do. When, when, when I feel the presence of God heavy on me, um, 
uh, and very close to me, um, I I react with tears, with tears. Uh, you know, sometimes I laugh, sometimes I dance, shout, uh, just you know, dance around the room. Perhaps when I have praise and worship music on, something like that. But the point I'm trying to make is make it a personal thing between you and Hashem. Make it a one-on-one time that you dare not allow to lapse. Because the adversary can trick you into coasting, into coasting, where you you move in God's power and presence for a season, and then you stop, and you start coasting under your own power, and you're deceived. And that leads to complacency, it leads to lackadaisical um, uh, covenant-keeping, it leads to laziness, it leads to forgetfulness for picking up his word, it leads to... Eventually, it leads to stress and frustration and cold-heartedness, and it can even lead to um, what we call backsliding and, and, and disobedience and, and increased sin in your life. So, what did the psalmist say? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might sin against thee, that I might not sin against thee. Hide God's word in your heart daily. Be like the man that the psalmist talked about is, um, uh, um, what did he say? Read in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scoffers. Nor, uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. I'm pulling this out of memory, so if I miss a few words, just bear with me. Um, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, as I learned it from the KJV. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, who brings forth fruit in his season, his leaf also doesn't wither. And that last part of the verse where it says, whatsoever he, of the chapter, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Amen? Do you want to be prosperous? I do. I do. I want God to move in my life. I want the words that are spoken. I think it's in Psalms, but it might be in the Proverbs, where it says, um, I think it's Proverbs, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. I want God to direct my paths, don't you? What do, what do we also read? Um, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you want to walk and not faint? Do you want to run and not be weary? Then trust in the Lord with all your heart. Seek his ways. What does Yeshua promise us in Matthew again? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about the things that, that you don't have. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what, what you're going to do for the next day. Yeshua says that the Gentiles, a.k.a. the pagans, those who don't know God, they worry about all those things, but you don't have to worry about those things. Your Father in heaven will provide those things for you. You just seek his face. And here's what I'm trying to get at as I close. This is where Torah observance is born out of. That's why I mean that it's a matter of the heart. You focus on God and, and He'll cause the fruit to grow. He'll cause the fruit to be manifested in your life. You pour into His presence. You pour into His Spirit. You seek His words daily. Put His words in your heart. Put them in your mind. Memorize them. I'm rattling off verses to you right now because these are words that I've committed to memory. They're promises that are near and dear to me. And they help me to take a stand against the adversary. They help me to take a stand against the wickedness, against the darkness, against the confusion that is rampant in today's age. And it's really, people, I'm trying to say, it's really the only way to know that I'm going to be pleasing to God is if I press in and have a, a, an ongoing, viable, living relationship, a personal relationship with God through Yeshua. Amen. So that's what I'm trying to say. You know, for some people, it 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 it's gonna look one way, and for others, it's gonna look a different way. Just make it personal. Make it personal between you and God, and don't worry about what it looks like to other people per se.
Okay? Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. And um, next week when we meet, we should be poised to start into um, uh, topic section number nine, which is a summary. And we're just going to go through kind of a summary of what we've learned in these topical sections before we turn to our um, verse-by-verse exposition of the book of Galatians. Okay? Let's close in prayer. Abba, I bless your name, and I thank you so much for allowing me to sit before the people and to share my heart, to share the words that I've written in this commentary, to pour out um, these thoughts and these um, ideas and these instructions that I feel that you are uh, uh, putting within me, sharing them with the people, with the students, with the listeners, for those who would tune into the podcast. Lord, I take this responsibility um, seriously as a Torah teacher. I pray that you'll continue to raise me up as a voice um, among, what do we say, as Dr. Brown is fond of saying, a voice of moral sanity in a, a, a world in chaos and a church too often in compromise. Lord, what a shame that as, as the days grow darker, but as your approach uh, is closer and sooner, Lord, um, darkness is is accelerating. Darkness is uh, maturing. But yet we also know by reading Torah and the promises of the apostolic scriptures that go along with it that righteousness will also increase in the last days and that righteousness will also mature. And so, Lord, we need to take a stand in Messiah. We need to choose, like Moshe said, choose life or choose death. Choose you this day. As Joshua was uh, said to the people, choose you this day whom you will serve. Let us be like Joshua and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let us be like Ezra who studied in order to do, in order to teach. Lord, help me to study Torah in order to do Torah, in order to teach Torah. And thank you, Lord, that the students that are tuning in, the students that are joining me week after week in the study, I know that they're interested. I know they're hungry because I read it in the emails that they send to me. I hear it in the comments that we discuss in the after after um, chat, uh, after session chat time. I I know because I, I've talked with them and I've prayed with them and I know that you're raising them up. So bless them, Lord. Bless them and raise them up. Continue to strengthen them and cause them to be lights. Cause them to be salt. Cause them to be a, ambassadors for your great name. And Lord, we will be careful to give you the praise and the preeminence for all of these things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God walk in all his ways to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. 
because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. 